0: Welcome to today's Locked On Giants podcast, Giant fans. And before we get into today's show, NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson host Locked On's Peacock and Williamson every Monday through Friday. Brian and Matt give you the national perspective all around the NFL, covering all the latest news and insight on every game, every team, and every move made around the league. Get your picks, previews, and much more every weekday with the Peacock and Williamson Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You are Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your Team Everyday.
0: Hello New York Giant fans and welcome to another edition of Locked On Giants part of the Locked On Podcast family. Your Team Everyday Patricia Trainer here with you and it is Tuesday the 25th of May. Glad to have everybody with us today and on today's program I'm joined by Mark Schofield. You've You've heard him before. He's been on the show, does an excellent job breaking down not just quarterbacks, but teams in general, talks about strategy, talks about personnel, and he is here today and we are going to talk about the Giants' new draft assets, some of these undrafted free agents, some of these veteran free agent signings, and where they all fit in and how the Giants can optimize the Mark, thank you so much for coming on the program with me today.
1: Oh, Patricia, thanks so much for having me. It's always a blast when we get a chance to hop on a show and talk football for a
0: while, both before the show, during the show, and after, and excited to be here today. And as always, we are excited to have you on the program. And Mark, I think we've got to start off with the Giants draft class, specifically Kadarius Tony. Very interesting pick, one that I don't know that a lot of people saw coming, but, but a good one nonetheless a guy who can do so much. Let's talk about his fit in the offense because, you know, I've been reading up on him and and a couple people, a couple reports I saw said that he's not a typical Jason Garrett type of player, but I want to get your take on him and where you see him fitting in.
1: Yeah, I think this is a fascinating pick. And I love this time of year because sort of the speculation is gone. You know, who might go where, who might draft what players, how might they potentially fit. Now we can start thinking a little bit more about how these actual new players fit into offenses. And I love the ideas that you can put together for Tony in any offense because he's, yes, a manufactured touch player. What people usually mean by that is he's somebody that you're going to want to scheme some things for, both in the run game and the passing game. You can see him being used on sweeps and screens and getting them the ball in space. You can see it being used on option routes that play to sort of cater to his quick change of direction ability. But I also think that there's a way that he can be that more sort of traditional Jason Garrett wide receiver, which people typically look at as somebody that's going to be used more in the downfield passing game. Now, Tony is not a complete route runner. He's not going to offer you the entire route tree day one, season one as a rookie like that's not his game but with what he can do with his change of direction skills and what he can do at the catch point in terms of making plays going up and getting the football adjusting to throws back shoulder throws and things like that there are a number of routes where you can get him involved in the vertical passing game and actually for a couple of weeks ago I wrote a piece over a big review scheming up some plays for the Giants offense to use Tony one of the things he does extremely well, where I think he could fit with guys like Darius Slade and, and Kenny Galladay on the outside, over the middle. He's very adept at sort of running what I like to call the search route, which is that crossing route over the middle, where you really just try to find grass, whether it's that first window between defenders, that second window between defenders, or if it's just running away from man coverage. Tony's very adept at running that route. He's very skilled at finding soft spots and zone coverage underneath and just settling down and making himself available for his quarterback. And that's a concept, that's a route where I think, Patricia, In the traditional Jason Garrett downfield passing game, you've got two go routes, two vertical routes on the outside, one from Slayton, one one from Kenny Galladay. And then you've got him working that search route over the middle and perhaps Evan Ingram underneath on a shallow or a flat route or a check down. Those are some nice options for Jason Garrett to dial up and some great options for Daniel Jones in the passing game because he could potentially pick a matchup if he likes the go route, say somebody's covering Galladay and he doesn't think that person can cover Galladay. You can throw that vertical route or he can work that concept of Tony across the middle. If he can't find a window for those guys, check it down to Ingram, check it down to Barkley. That's a really nice sort of passing concept. So I think you look at what Tony does. Yes, he's not the complete route runner. They don't need that. They've got guys that can do that. Galladay is the universal fit. He's the perfect sort of weapon in today's NFL passing game. But with what Tony can do, his change of direction ability, his ability to adjust to some throws, you can use him as a running back at times. That's what Florida did. You can see him in a sort of two-back package with him and Saquon Barkley in the backfield. You can scheme some stuff up like that. And that sort of search route over the middle, which I love for him, there's a lot you can do with him in the passing game.
0: Now, we've been talking about Jason Garrett's offense and Joe Judge over the... uh earlier in the off season shifted his offensive coaching staff al- around a little bit he moved freddie kitchens for example from tight end to a senior offensive assistant kind of giving the illusion that we're going to get a little bit more layers if you will to the offense that said i mean based on what you remember from when freddie kitchens ran an offense so over in cleveland um what are some of the concepts maybe that we might see from the browns from from Kitchens' and stays with the Browns that are going to maybe work their way into the Giants' offense?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously when you think of Freddie Kitchens, you're going to think of a more sort of modernized offense, which you know, sort of fascinating thinking about his time back when he was with Cleveland and some of his other stops. You're going to see a lot of sort of route combinations that might make you think more air raid type stuff. You might see some mesh stuff. You might see some crossers and things like that that you typically associate with more air raid offenses. You might see some pistol formation stuff. Those are the kind of roots of his, his offensive philosophy that, you know, he'll use and he'll employ. You might see some diamond pistol where you've got three people in the backfield along with a quarterback. Those are some things that he's sort of involved. Um, into his offensive philosophy over the years. He's a bit more creative. We know Jason Garrett, the sort of downfield vertical stuff, that's traditionally what you associate with Garrett. But I think with Kitchens, you're going to see a bit more modernization of the offense. Some Like I said, pistol concepts, some mesh stuff, some stuff you don't typically associate with Garrett, but stuff that you've seen other offenses use and with great effect, you know, in other teams across the league with other younger quarterbacks. Baker Mayfield certainly had some success with Freddie Kitchens. You know, that's the reason why that interim job turned into a a permanent job because of what it did for Baker Mayfield. And so the nod to Kitchens and giving him more input on the offense is partly a, a response to. Trying to find ways to get Daniel Jones to take that year three leap. You know that's going to be the critical component to the Giants' success or failure this year, because this is a roster now on the offensive side of the ball. It's looking like they've got some talent of the skill positions now. Uh, they've got some talent up front. They're getting Nate Solder back. They, they seem to have some pieces in place along the offensive line. They got to figure out their best five, which is going to be a big part of training camp. But ultimately, it comes down to Daniel Jones. I do think trying to get Freddie Kitchens involved a bit more offensively in terms of his concepts and scheme. That's all a nod to how can we get Daniel Jones to make that lead?
0: Yeah. Now let me back up a little bit. Cause you know, you mentioned Saquon Barkley here and, and Barkley, the expectation, the hope is that he will be a hundred percent for the start of the season. It will still have been almost a year, if not a, an exact year, since he last played football. How much of what the Giants look to be planning to do rests on Saquon Barkley? And if Saquon is not a hundred percent, where you know maybe the medical staff says, "Okay, you know what, Saquon, for the time being, you're going to be a first, you know, a, a two down back instead of an every down back." How much do you see that maybe potentially changing what the Giants are able to do?
1: You know, I think obviously a player of his caliber, you know, he's going to be, I don't want to say the glue that holds this offense together potentially, but he's going to be a core component of what you want to do because as we all know, the NFL today is a matchup based game and you start seeing with these additions of wide receiver, the ability to create some mismatches in the secondary, but having the ability to do that with the running back position as well. we know Saquon Barkley's talent level, you can do that. That's going to be a big part of it as well, because if you're in a situation where as a defensive coordinator, you're thinking we've got a double team, Kenny Galladay, we've got to potentially rotate some safety help towards Darius Slayton. Now we've got to deal with Darius Toney. That's a lot of headaches before you get to the running back position. And if it all sort of filters downhill, where, you're left with a you know strong safety or a linebacker potentially on Saquon Barkley. That's a mismatch that you can, as the Giants, take advantage of. And so, if Barkley is now limited to just a two-down back, like you said, that's going to you know negate that potential mismatch from the Giants' perspective. So obviously, I think they're going to want to have him back, and they're going to want to have him back to full strength. Not having that ability, not having that mismatch potential, is going to be sort of a detriment to what they're trying to put together. Yeah, but that being said, ACL injuries at this point now, even for a running back, a year is usually enough. You've seen people like Adrian Peterson come back from it quickly. And so I do think that they should be able to, bar in setbacks, count on Saquon Barkley to be full go for at least week one.
0: That is, of course, the hope. Everybody seems to be optimistic, but I find it kind of curious that no one with the Giants has come right out and said, oh, we expect to have him back or, or ready for training camp or for the start of the season. I think Joe Judge has been very careful to avoid putting any kind of expectations on him. And, you know, to that end, they brought in Devonta Booker, who, you know, let, let's let's not put him in the same category as a healthy Saquon Barkley, but he's a guy who I could see potentially maybe taking on some of the third down back type of duties, taking on some of the short yardage stuff, just basically saving some of the wear and tear on Barkley. Do you see the same thing in his skill set? Absolutely. And
1: I do think both, you know, Booker as well as Corey Clement have that opportunity to be that potential third down back to give the Giants some options in the passing game on third downs Corey Clement, very good receiver out of the backfield. Booker, very good in that outside zone, wide zone game. Shows you that vision, that one-cut ability that's critical to that. And so I think between the two of them, the Giants have put themselves in a situation where if Barkley can't go right away and or is limited right away, they have options behind him. Now, obviously, the other player is as talented as Saquon Barkley, and you're only going to get, say, 60 70 75% of his talent at potential production level. But if that's what you're getting for maybe the first two weeks of the season, that might be enough to sort of keep this team in a pretty good shape, in pretty good shape as Barkley gets sort of up to speed and gets back to 100. percent So I think Clement Booker, those are two nice pieces to have behind Saquon Barkley as insurance in case Barkley can't go right away.
0: Yeah, that would be kind of a disaster for the Giants, and certainly a lot of people are placing odds down on whether or not Barkley is going to be back by week 1. I would think the odds certainly favor him. And speaking of odds, let me tell you everybody about Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all of the action on Bet Online. You can also get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC, MMA action. Head on over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device, and check out all the great sporting news. And sign up for bonuses and contest information. Use our special promo code Locked On to sign up for an account, and you'll receive your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. That's code Locked On at Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Hey, Giant fans, if you haven't tried the all-new Built Bar, you are missing out. Built Bar has nine amazing flavors, plus the occasional limited-time flavor. Eating a delicious Built Bar is like eating a candy bar minus the guilt, as most of their milk chocolate-covered bars have 17 grams of protein, about 130 calories and only 4 grams of sugar. Indulging on a low carb, low sugar treat never tasted so good. And right now, when you order at builtbar.com, you can save 15% off when you use the promo code LOCKED15. That's L O C K E D 1 5 for 15% off. Your order at BuiltBar.com. Hey, Giant fans, if you haven't tried the all-new Built Bar, you are missing out. Built Bar has nine amazing flavors, plus the occasional limited-time flavor. Eating a delicious Built Bar is like eating a candy bar minus the guilt, as most of their milk chocolate-covered bars have 17 grams of protein, about 130 calories, and only 4 grams of sugar. Indulging on a low-carb, low-sugar treat never tasted so good. And right now, when you order at BuiltBar.com, you can save 15% off when you use the promo code LOCKED15. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5 for 15% off your order at BuiltBar.com. All right, Giant fans, we are speaking with Mark Schofield. He is a football analyst, basically focuses on quarterbacks, but hey, he knows enough about all the positions and he's got some great stuff he is sharing with us, some great knowledge about the New York Giants and how they are going to potentially deploy all their uh, new additions and how it's all going to come together potentially and what he would do if he were in the coach's shoes. So happy to have Mark Schofield with us here on the Locked On Giants podcast. Mark, were you as surprised as I was that the Giants didn't go for any offensive linemen? I mean, other than adding a couple of undrafted free agents in uh, Brett Heggie uh, from Florida and, and, and Burton, who I believe played at Baylor, they really didn't add to that unit, you know, like I thought they would. Does that surprise you? And does that concern you? It surprised
1: me in a sense because I thought we, you know, looking at this roster, you know, yes, they're getting Nate Solder back, Andrew Thomas, shaky start to his career. I think we can all sort of agree on that, but you know, seemed to sort of catch some strength down the stretch, looked a little bit better in the second half of the season. Matt Part, uh the third round pick. Seem to potentially solidify that right tackle spot a bit, but I do think there's still some sort of questions about the guards. I know between Will Hernandez and the Mew, you know, goes those guys were in and out of the lineup, which is why I, you know, I thought a player like Rashawn Slater might have been, you know, an option for them in this draft class because somebody with the ability to play inside, and outside tackle and guard, you know, that might have been something that intrigued them. There are certainly some options a little bit later in the draft when they could have addressed offensive line. They chose not to. So I do think it's a bit surprising, but I do think it also shows that they have some expectations. They have some confidence that between getting Nate Solder back, Thomas and Park, they've got some guys now where they can get the two best tackles on the field. Maybe they're expected a bit more from Hernandez. Maybe they think between Hernandez and the Mew. There's your guard tandem. You know, maybe they think they can get both of those guys on the field at the same time. They know they're very confident in Nick Gates in the interior. Now, that leaves some questions about depth behind those guys. You know, Maybe Kyle Murphy, who they've moved inside to guard. Maybe they feel they can trust him a bit as a sort of fringe guard player, that third guard. And so maybe they're looking at it and they're thinking, look, we trust the guys that we have between the, the soldier coming back, the guys that we have in place. We're going to be able to get our best five on the field. I might have gone in a different direction. Um, but clearly they have more information that somebody like me does. They seem to trust what they've got. And so while it seems shaky right now, maybe eventually it's the right call and added the skillful player that they did in Tony, addressing defense in the second and third round. And maybe they felt that, look, we're going to still be able to get our best five. we can address other positions. We all knew Edge was going to be in need for this team. They addressed that in the second round. And Roberts in the corner, I think was a nice addition for them as well. So it remains to be seen if they got it right but you have to feel that they trust the group up front given that they didn't address that until undrafted free agency time.
0: Now I want to ask you something about the guard situation because Shane Lemieux and Will Hernandez have both been career left guards. One of those guys is probably going to make the switch over to right guard in the offense that Jason Garrett and the giants run. Are there certain characteristics that the left guard has to have versus the right guard and how tricky of a of a transition do you see that being? Whether it be for Hernandez and Lemieux, and which one of those guys do you think is closer to making that switch?
1: Yeah, in terms of the offensive philosophy, there really isn't you know a, a trait set or a skill set or a need that you have a box that you have to check to play left versus right. You know, you're going to be asked to do a lot of stuff in terms of vision, in terms of pass it off stunts. You're going to be asked to be that sort of road grader in the power gap run game. Um, But left versus right, on paper, there's not something that you need to do better at one spot versus the other. Now, in terms of a transition, that's the difficult part Um, because you ask any offensive lineman, you know, we go through draft season every year and we look at these left tackles, you know, whether it's Petty Suell or somebody else. And we think, yeah, this guy's great, but we can put him at right tackle to start off you ask any offensive lineman, any offensive line coach, like a Duke Mannyweather or somebody like Jeff Schwartz who played offensive line, and they'll tell you, that's like learning to write with your other hand. That's like learning to suddenly bat lefty versus righty. That's like learning to eat with your left hand versus your right hand. It's a tough switch, whether it's moving from left tackle to right tackle or left guard to right guard. You have to learn to do different things, the field division, the things you're looking for. That's coming from different angles, and that takes some time to learn. Now, thankfully, look, we're going to get – Three preseason games and more regular training camps. So, whether it's Lemieux who has to switch or Hernandez, you know, they're going to get more opportunities to figure that out, to get that sort of frame of reference, to get that muscle memory. So, when it comes week one and you're lining up and looking at that defense across from you, you're not looking the wrong way. You're not stepping the wrong way. Everything's sort of learned and ingrained by then. So, it will be a transition for whoever has to make that move. Um, but I, I think it's one that given the regularity of this offseason and training camp experience they'll be able to make. I would expect Hernandez to be the one to move, um, you know, a bit more of a veteran player, maybe has some more experience and a better knowledge base to work from. So the transition for him might be a bit easier. Um, but really, that's something that might sort of just shake out during training camp.
0: Yeah, that's a move I'm definitely curious to see because, you know, a lot of people just say, oh, just flip them over and and be done with it. And and it's not as easy as people make that sound. Um, So I'm curious to see that as well. Mark, let's flip over now to the defensive side of the ball. I mean, the defense last year was pretty good. Um, They have added now to that unit. They've added uh, Aaron Robinson, who is a slot cornerback. Odarius Williams who I think can play on the perimeter and they added a couple of pass rushers and Aziz Ojulari, uh Ellerson Smith who's a defensive lineman. I mean, they now are stacked basically in this in in the back uh defensive backfield up front. Let's start off with the with the edge rushers and just how you kind of see that sh- uh shaking out.
1: Well, what's fascinating is last year, the Giants managed to get a lot of pressure on opposing passers, but they were doing it mostly through scheme. I mean, it wasn't like they had somebody they could just point to to win one-on-one battles up front. They were doing it with a lot of sub-packages, a lot of blitzes up front, stunts and twists up front, and they were able to generate that pressure. But now with the addition of, I, I think in particular, Aziz Ojolari, although Alison Smith is a fantastic talent as well, a bit more raw of a player, Ojolari was somebody that, we all sort of thought was going to go in the first round and you probably saw a lot of mock drafts with him going to the giants in the first round um but because of perhaps a knee injury concern as well as some rawness to his game which we'll talk about in a second he falls to them in the second round and i think that was a a great value pick by dave gettleman Ojulari is a fantastic talent there's a lot of room for growth. he's very quick off the edge He could certainly win outside the arc, bend in the arc with speed. The biggest part of him right now is can he develop a counter? Can he develop a sort of secondary move? Can he potentially win to the inside? That was part of his evaluation when I was studying him that I was craving to see. Look, if that tackle sort of oversets and, you know, takes away that outside speed move, can he then counter with a spin or a rip or something to the inside? And that was really a part of his evaluation process where that box never really got checked. And so I think if he starts rounding out that part of his game, he's going to be a potentially dominant pass rusher off the edge. But that's not there yet, but that's okay. You know, with, with this the talent and the scheme they already have in place, he can win the way he does while they fill in the rest of the, the pass rushing repertoire, so to speak. So I really like both of these additions. I think Smith is somebody that's going to be a little bit more you know, three-point stance, hand of the dirt type of player where you might see Ojolari play a lot more at a two-point stance, be that sort of outside linebacker type player where, like you said, Smith's more defensive end, hand of the dirt type of guy. Both very good picks, both very good additions. I'm very excited about Aziz Ojolari in particular.
0: They also have, uh, coming back from injury, Lorenzo Carter and uh, O'Shane Ziminez. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I saw something on on Twitter today about competitions and, you know, who's, who's going to win? Is it going to be, you know, Carter or, or Zimenez? And I don't think they even play the same position. I think Carter is more of a strong side uh, backer, whereas Zimenez is more of a weak side. But that said, you know, you've got Carter coming back from, from an Achilles injury. Zimenez is coming back from a shoulder injury. How big of an uphill battle are those guys facing and getting back to where they were? I mean,
1: certainly, look, you coming back from injury, um, you know, there, there's going to be sort of an uphill battle to get back to where you were. But I also think it's important to remember in today's NFL, you know, pass rushing is almost like pitching in baseball. You can never have too much of it. Um, so you're going to need guys that could give you pass rushing reps off the outside, even if it's just on a rotational basis. And so both of those players, you know, I think they're going to be counted on in this defense to give them – Options off the edge, particularly like we just talked about with Aziz Elliott, you know he's not the complete pass rusher right now, and so you might have a need for somebody that can counter moves, that can st- slant and stunt to the inside, that can, you know, give you something more than just that outside pass rush move. And so, both of those players will face some adjustments and coming back from injury, but I do think Patrick Graham is going to count on both of those players to be part of a complete pass rushing group. You know, now with players like that coming back from injury and these new additions, you can perhaps get some guys that can win one on one reps and you don't have to scheme it all up. And, you know, thinking about other teams, you know, I study the Patriots. I follow the Patriots. This is the way Bill Belichick has done it for years, trying to win with a combination of scheme and some players here and there that can give you those one on one wins. And I think that's what Patrick Graham and Joe Judge are trying to duplicate in New York.
0: In terms of the defensive secondary, they have a lot of cornerbacks now. I mean, they they had a lot last year, but not really. I guess you could say quality because they had some guys they were rotating in and out, and guys were getting injured and whatnot. And you know, with the addition of Rodarius Williams, the addition of uh, Aaron Robinson, how do you see Patrick Graham kind of deploying these guys? It just seems like it's a good problem to have, and and you know, you just wonder what he's going to do with all these guys.
1: Yeah, it's a great problem to have, but it sort of speaks to how defenses in today's NFL are trying to keep up with what offenses are doing. Because as we all, and we've talked about it already today, Patricia, this is a matchup-based game. If you're an offensive coordinator, if you're a Jason Garrett, if you're a Josh McDaniels, or you're a Sean McVeigh, Kyle Shanahan, you're spending all week trying to scheme up ways to get advantageous matchups, right? How do I get George Kittle matched up on a a linebacker? How do I get Saquon Barkley matched up on a linebacker? How do I get DeAndre Hopkins matched up on a safety? That's what you're trying to do via motion, formation, personnel, scheme, shifts. That's what you're trying to generate. Get those advantageous mismatches and then exploit them when the ball is snapped. But what defenses are doing now is they're adding multiple players at the cornerback and safety spots, hybrid-type players, Coverage type players, and so you don't worry about it as much. You have matchup type erasers, or you can also play matchups to your end. Okay, we're going to put three corners on the field right now. We've got our slot guy, our boundary guy, our other boundary guy. These are matchups that we're comfortable with. You know, if one week we're dealing with two super shifty, change of direction type receivers, we've got two corners that we'll put on those guys. If another week you're hand, you know, going up against bigger bodied, wider bodied you know, Kyle Pitts-type players, you've got bigger corners to now use in those situations. And that's how defenses are adjusted, and that's what Patrick Graham has in front of him for this season. He's got a varied skill set at the cornerback position, guys like Logan Ryan, you know, some of the other additions, Aaron Robinson now, the slot corner, who can play outside at times. It gives him the ability to perhaps – Try to erase those mismatches that these offensive quarter days they will face week in and week out are trying to create. And so having a wide safety and cornerback group with varied skill sets, it's almost a critical component to playing defense in the NFL today.
0: You're listening to Locked on Giants with Patricia Traynor and special guest Mark Schofield. He's a writer over at Touchdown Wire over on the USA Today Network. We are talking New York Giants, and there's plenty more still to discuss with Mark, including some uh, final thoughts about what the Giants might be missing and whatnot. But first, Giant fans, let me take a moment to tell you about rockauto.com, a family-owned business serving auto part customers online for 20 years. Rockauto.com offers an extensive selection of auto and body parts for dozens of auto manufacturers, makes, and models all at competitive pricing. Get what you need for your car or truck delivered straight to your front door from rockauto.com's extensive and easily searchable catalog. And be sure to write in, locked on in their how did you hear about us box so that they know that we sent you. rockauto.com, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car or truck will ever need. That's rockauto.com. And again, we are speaking with Mark Schofield of TouchdownWire.com. And Mark, just from a big picture perspective, where are the Giants still lacking as far as either personnel, as far as having a solution in place, other than, of course, the offensive line, which I think we can all agree is still kind of up in the air, but where are they most lacking in other areas?
1: Yeah, I mean, offensive line is obviously... A big part of the, the concern and the questions facing this team as they head into the offseason and the training camp routine, but then it's quarterback and all the additions on the offensive side of the ball. While well, great on paper, I you know I love the, the Kenny Galladay addition. I like the Kenny the Kadarius Tony pick. You see some of the other moves that they've made. It all comes back to number eight, and if Daniel Jones can take that step forward, now what we've seen. League-wide is that this is a copycat league, and we saw last year, you know, the name that is constantly brought up in Daniel Jones' discussions right now is Josh Allen, right? And We saw the the leap that Josh Allen made from a, I don't know if bust was the word, but there were certainly concerns about Josh Allen, and the next year he's almost an MVP candidate. And how can the Giants replicate that? How can the Giants get Daniel Jones to take that step forward? Well, what did the Bills do? They went out and they got Stephon Diggs. They got that mismatch coverage nightmare type of player in Stephon Diggs. And you see the huge step for Josh Allen. What did the Giants do? They go out and they get Kenny Galladay and they add Darius Toney. So they're certainly trying to follow that lead of give our guy weapons and then hope that that sort of jump starts him into year three he does take that year three leap and the potential is certainly there are there things that daniel jones has to get better at absolutely you know to get ready for the show i once went and watched his 2020 season over the weekend i watched it all his interceptions and on almost every single interception the word late came into my note taking. You know, whether it was late on a read, late on a decision, hesitant with making a decision, you know. And it wasn't just, you know, deep throws downfield. Sometimes it was a simple stick route to the tight end. And I'm stripping out the throws that went through Evan Ingram's hands. Like, there were a couple of those, and we all remember those moments. But even on some other routes where it's a simple read and the ball is just not coming out when it should. Or one of his two interceptions against Tampa Bay in that Monday night game – the outside vertical route on the right is open he doesn't throw it and then he has to reset in the pocket and he comes to it late in the play by then the window is closed he can't throw that but he did and so that's the key for daniel jones this year can he erase that lateness can he be quicker with his reads quicker with his decisions and patricia you remember this from last year when i was on talking about daniel jones with you and you asked me what should we be looking for i said I don't care about numbers. I don't care about completion percentage or touchdown. Will he be faster with reads and decisions? We're still having that conversation a year later. And so that's where I'm, again, going to look. Will Daniel Jones be faster with reads, faster with decisions, and not throw himself into trouble? If he is, this giant team could be very well in the mix for not just the NFC East, but perhaps more than that. If he's still late, if he's still slow, if he's still making these mistakes – then all the additions they've made this off season won't really matter because they'll still be stuck in the mud offensively.
0: The coaches said that they saw improvement in Daniel Jones, especially as the season went on. I mean, did you see the improvement as well? Was it a result of, you know, him becoming more comfortable in the offense, which remember, you know, it was a new system and they really didn't have an off season to, to work through it.
1: Yeah. And, Where I really sort of saw some improvement from him was in the vertical passing game. And, you know, you look at some of the numbers on throws deeper downfield. Jones was above league average throws to all, you know, left, middle of the field, right side of the field. He was above league average on those downfield throws, which was one of the questions about Daniel Jones coming out of Duke because they ran so many RPO and one-step concepts and quick game stuff. How is he going to fit in that Jason Garrett downfield system? It seems like that transition as the year went on got better and the improvement was certainly there in the vertical passing game. Now it's a matter of putting it all together, right? The quarterback he was at Duke, the RPO, the quick game stuff where he seemed to be a better quarterback. But once you had to push the ball downfield, there were some questions last year. You saw some improvement in the downfield passing game. Now let's mesh the two, right? You take the good quarterback downfield, the good quarterback he was in college, put those two together and now you're cooking with gas. And so yeah, there has been there was some improvement, but it's not complete yet. He needs to be that complete quarterback to all levels of the field with confident, quick decision making, and ultimately this second year in Jason Garrett's offense, as it were, will, might just be that might just be the fix. Uh, because you talk, for example, Quincy Avery, who coaches quarterbacks, coach Trey Lance, coaches others he was on a show recently. He knows more about quarterbacks than I ever will. And he said something to the effect of a comfortable quarterback is a confident quarterback and a confident quarterback is a good quarterback year two in the same offense. Cause he's been through a number of different systems. Now this is now year two in this offense. He should be comfortable. He should be confident. And now it's time to see it on the field.
0: Yes, indeed. And if he doesn't show it, uh, I fear the giants might have to tear everything down and start all over again, which, you know, at this point, I don't think they want to be doing that. I mean, that would
1: be, no, no, I mean, this is the sort of life cycle of the rookie quarterback. You try to take advantage of them on that you know, cost-control deal. But now we're in year three, and we're getting to the time frame where it's, you're going to make decisions about that fifth-year option. And so this is, in a sense, a make-or-break year for Daniel Jones, because if it doesn't come together, you would have to think that the Giants are going to have to look at the next draft cycle and say, okay, we need to do this again. We need to sort of reload this. You're seeing other teams move on from that quarterback. We just saw the crosstown New York Jets move on from Sam Darnold. This is that year where it's either he puts it together and lives up to the hype or they have to start thinking about going in a new direction at the position.
0: and that would be a shame if they have to. Mark, um, in, in terms of, Underrated players on this team. If you look at the, all the additions the Giants have made, is there one player in particular that we're just not talking about enough, whether it be on offense or defense, that you think is really going to make a significant diff- difference for his unit?
1: You know, that's that's a fascinating question. You know, and you look at some of the additions. There are players that you know people will obviously point to and say, "Oh man, you know, you add Kenny Galladay, that's that's a massive acquisition." You you know add you know, whether it's in the draft, as he's Kenny Galladay, huge. Adoree Jackson, um, who they signed back in March, a player that sort of fell out of favor, had some injuries, um, but certainly an athletic coverage type player that I think gets to that sort of mismatch aspect of today's NFL. Uh, I think there will certainly be some situations where Jackson and his skill set might be really critical to what the Giants are going to put together in terms of a game plan for an upcoming opponent. And so while you know, this is the first we're talking about him today, I think he could be that kind of under the radar sort of sign-in that we start looking at, say, October, November, December, and man, the Giants really hit a home run with this one. And so that's a player that comes to mind, you know, an under the radar sort of signing for the Giants that could pay dividends. Jackson could be that player.
0: And then I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the addition of Kelvin Benjamin. Now, I know he's got a ways to go. He's not a lock for the roster. I just found that to be a very fascinating signing. I I, I don't want to sell the guy short and say that, oh, that this is just Dave Gettleman doing a favor for his former draft pick. But I feel like that's what they're doing, especially with the position switch. I mean, when you look at Kelvin Benjamin, can he make the switch? And if so, where did they have room for him in, amongst the tight ends? Yeah, I mean,
1: it it does seem like a long shot in in terms of him sticking at tight end. Uh, I think the tight end position generally is perhaps a better fit for him, given his style of play, the size, the frame, the the things that he offers right now at this point in his career. You know, when you look at this roster at the tight end position, we know, you know, questions about his hands aside, Evan Ingram is a solid player. Obviously the addition of Kyle Rudolph Get behind him, Caden Smith. Like they, they, they're pretty deep at tight end to begin with. Even Levine Toyolo, who I do like, is sort of a T three, T four type of player. And so, what does Belgium, Calvin Benjamin, fit in there? I, I, it's hard to see right now him fitting in and sticking on this roster. But with his skill set, if he's able to sort of handle the blocking responsibilities, or if they view him as more of a move type tight end, that could get into that sort of mismatch realm where. You know, you see him in the slot. You see him in the way that it's how do you handle him if you're a defensive coordinator? Do you treat him like a tight end? Do you treat him like uh, almost a receiver, given his background? You know, you could see a scenario where he starts making some noise through training camp. The road would be tough for him, but I think he's got a better shot than say another name that's making a position switch, in Tim Tebow. So I do think Benjamin's got a better shot at making this roster, but I wouldn't really lay money on it. The odds, the odds are still long.
0: Final question for you, Mark. Do you like the direction that this team is headed?
1: I do. I do like the direction that the team is headed. I like the additions. I like the acquisitions. I like what they've put together on both offense and defense. A lot of these names we've talked about, I think, are great acquisitions for this team. They can play big roles in the season ahead. But again, it comes back to number eight. You know, I, I remain cautiously optimistic that Jones will take that step forward uh, given some of the improvements we saw, given the additions that they've made, but it ultimately rests on his shoulders because if he continues to struggle or doesn't take that leap, this might be, you know, a 9-8 you know, and eight team, um, but this team could be more if he just takes that step. You look around this division, Philadelphia has questions, Washington has questions, Dallas, these teams all have questions. This is a division that, could be there for the taking, but it's whether Jones takes that leap forward or not that might ultimately decide if it happens in New York.
0: Fingers crossed that he makes that leap because I don't know if I could go through another year uh, of losing and, and, you know, the fans were frustrated last year. I, I think we all were, those of us who covered the Giants or followed the Giants and you know, it's, it's high time. They turn it around. I'm hoping they turn it right. around. So fingers crossed on that. Mark, great stuff as always. Let everybody know where they can find you on social media and what you got coming up.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me. It's always a blast to, to chat with you. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Like you mentioned, USA Today's Touchdown Wire. Um, Giants fans might not want to look out for this stuff, but I am starting my summer scouting on the next draft cycle of quarterbacks. I'll be doing some stuff on uh, Mississippi's Matt Carl, uh Tyler Show, uh, Spencer Rattler, some of those other quarterbacks I'll be studying over the next couple of weeks. So if Giants fans want to get a peek ahead, perhaps hopefully not needing it, uh, you can check that stuff out. But that's what will be coming next uh, at USA Today's Touchdown Wire.
0: Well, heck, they might as well check it out because, listen, there's going to be teams that are going to need quarterbacks in next year's draft. And the Giants do have two draft cho- picks. So, you know, the more quarterbacks that go early, the better of the player that falls down to the well, Giants. So why not? There you go. <laughs> so how's that for for uh, optimism, right?
1: Exactly. There you go. Now you're talking.
0: All right. Well, Mark, listen, thank you so much for the uh, for the time today, always a blast talking with you. I mean, seriously, we could probably talk for hours on end. Folks, before we say goodbye for today, just want to remind you, you can get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on all the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Giant fans, that'll do it for today. We will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening.